The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. You can find it on page 950 in the Bibles underneath your seats. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The word of God for the people of God. Man, when Adrian Martinez beats Oklahoma, doesn't that feel like kind of a victory for you guys? Does that feel like some payback? I mean, you got to like that. That has nothing to do with the book of James this morning. Hey, I'm Bob. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are waking our way, making our way through this New Testament book of James. And so we're going to tackle this morning this really important exhortation right here in chapter 1. And I actually want to begin by reminding you of the mission statement of our church. Who are we? Why are we here? I, I captured this little screenshot off of the Cormdale website, and this is just our simple statement of why we exist. We exist to worship God, make disciples, plant churches, and spur gospel renewal everywhere. So those are the four aspects of our mission, of why we exist. Those first two should seem pretty basic and elementary. They are basic Christian obedience. Right? If you are a Christian, you exist to worship God, and to make disciples. These things should be part of what your life is given to. And then those second two things are a little more particular to God's calling for our church. Uh, we want to be involved in the work of planting churches as we just prayed for throughout the world. And we want to be a church that spurs renewal and revival and awakening uh, by God's grace through the gospel. And so this is why we exist. And uh, my friend Will Walker and I do a lot of coaching with church planters and church leaders, and our joke is that if you pull up any church website, there's something on there about worshiping God and make disciples. And so when we're teaching leaders, you know, how do you articulate your mission? We just always go to their website and we're like, well, of course, you exist to worship God and make disciples, don't we all, right? This is like almost standard fare for churches that believe the Bible and that are committed to the mission of Jesus. And what I want to ask this morning is simply, what does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean to be a church that exists, to be people who exist, to make disciples? What does that mean? That's in our language. Might be something you've heard that you're familiar with, but what is that about? I want to answer that by going to the Great Commission, the famous text where Jesus commissions his disciples and gives them his charge to them. It's in Matthew chapter 28. It says this, And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This passage is famously called the Great Commission. It's the last thing Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. And you'll notice what he charges his disciples with here. First of all, go and make disciples. So there's a, there's a going component to discipleship. This is why we're committed to the planting of churches, because we feel like, man, if we're obeying Jesus, the gospel's always taking new ground. We're always asking who's not here yet, who's not reached with the gospel yet, that we should be going to. So go and make disciples. But then here's what making disciples means, according to Jesus. One, it means baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in this Trinitarian formula. And so every one of us who's a follower of Jesus should be baptized. That's part of what it means to make disciples. And notice, secondly, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Or, or some of your translations say teaching them to do everything I have commanded. So here's what that means. If you're not, committing, if you're not committed to actually doing the things Jesus said then you're not his disciple. Discipleship means doing. Jesus did not say, notice this, this is important for us to see, Jesus did not say, go and have Bible studies about everything I've commanded you. He didn't say, attend conferences about everything I've commanded you. He did not say, post on social media really sweet memes about everything I've commanded you. What he said is, Observe, actually do what I have commanded you. And I wonder if in much of modern Christianity, especially in America, I wonder if we've replaced being a follower of Jesus with being a fan of Jesus. You know what fans do, right? They root for the team. They consume information about the team. They wear the team apparel. They talk with other fans about how the team is doing. They prognosticate and worry about the future of the team and where the team is headed. You can do all of that for Team Jesus without actually being a follower of Jesus. And when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on the last day and give account for our lives, I suspect there are going to be many people who find out they were never followers in the first place. They were only fans. And James doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you to merely be a fan. He wants you to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or in his language, a doer of the word, not merely a hearer. So James wants to make a very important connection for us between hearing and and doing, and he wants to convince you, if you're not doing the things Jesus said, if you're not a doer of the word, then you're not his disciple. So three points I want to show you in the text this morning and from the text this morning. You must be a doer. You want to be a doer. You can be a doer, right? That's where we're headed. You must be a doer. You want to be a doer. You can be a doer. The first thing James wants you to see is you must be a doer of the word. James 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
there are a lot of people who are deceiving themselves, thinking that they are committed to the Lord Jesus. But James says, if you're a hearer only, you're deceiving yourself. In other words, you must be a doer, otherwise you're nothing. Now notice he says, not hearers only. Catch that word, right? So it's not that hearing the word is unimportant. It's that hearing alone is not sufficient. We still need to hear the word of God. We need to attend to the word of God. We need to focus on the word of God. I mean, remember right before this in verse 21, as we talked about last week, James says, hey, we need to receive with meekness the implanted word. So there is absolute priority on hearing, on receiving, on attending to the word of God. But listen, once you hear, James says, you must do, you must take action. Because if you don't, if you're merely a hearer and not a doer, then you are deceiving yourself. You bought into a lie, a false vision that that's even possible. That follow, you can follow Jesus by just hearing his word and not doing it. The word deceive here means to miscalculate or to reason falsely, to draw a false conclusion. So listen, this should get your attention. This is one of those verses that should grab you by the collar and shake you a little bit. How many people are in churches throughout our city this morning hearing the Word of God? James says, if you're just a hearer and you're not also a doer, then you're deceiving yourself. You must be a doer. There's no other way to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be doers, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You must be a doer, James says. So when the scriptures say things like this, it's important that we hear them with all the force that they're meant, right? James is trying to grab hold of you and say, look, you're all here because you're hearers. You're here this morning hearing the word of God. You showed up at a church this morning because ostensibly you want it, you care about what God is saying. You want to hear and listen and attend to his word. And James is saying, great. Make sure, though, that you're a doer and not a hearer only. But secondly, now he carries this forward. Not only you must be a doer, but notice this. You want to be a doer. Look at verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. I don't know what your morning routine is, but y'all look pretty good this morning. And I imagine that at some point this morning, before you came in this room, you might have looked in a mirror, right? Right? I mean, very few of you, I suppose, rolled out of bed, and this is just how you look. When, if, that's, if that's you, man, good for you, right? But for the rest of us, generally between rolling out of bed in the morning and showing up somewhere, there's a, there's a ritual that involves some kind of looking into the mirror, right? And the only reason that you look at in a mirror in the morning is to do something, 
right? To attend to something, to pay attention to what hairs need to be put back in place, right? Or what needs to be done with my face or my appearance or my clothing. Maybe there are a few super weird narcissists in the room who just look in the mirror to admire their own beauty. I don't know. But most of us look in the mirror in order to evaluate, in order to take stock of what we see and then do something about it, right? It doesn't make sense to look in a mirror and then do nothing. It doesn't make sense to look in a mirror and then just walk away and forget to do anything. And in the same way, it doesn't make any sense to hear the word of God and not do anything about it. James is saying that that's meaningless. Of course, why would you bother hearing the word of God if you're not going to do anything about it? It doesn't make sense. You want to be a doer. What's the point of hearing anyway if it's not to do? So I just want to ask you a, a straightforward question. And that is this. Why are you here this morning? Are you here for social reasons? Because you like to connect with people. Are you here for psychological reasons? Being here makes you feel better. Are you here for habitual reasons? Because this is just what we do. This is the thing that Christians do. Or are you here so you can hear the Word of God and do something about it? Put it into practice. That's why you should be here. That's what James is saying. Is like, look, if you're here hearing the Word of God, ostensibly the reason is so you can do something about it. Just like the reason you go look in a mirror is so you can take action and do something about what you see. There's an old story about Martin Luther. Not sure if it's true. No one knows if the stories we have about Luther are true. Um, but the story goes like this. I mean, Luther preached thousands of sermons in his lifetime. He was one of the great preachers in church history. And, and just much of his ministry was just communicating the word of God. And there's a story that Luther got up one Sunday and began to preach. And as he worked through his introduction and got to the text, the people in his church realized he was preaching the exact same sermon that he had the Sunday before. And so some courageous person said, Dr. Luther, this is the same sermon you preached last Sunday. And he said, I know. You haven't done anything with it yet, so I'm going <laughs> to preach it again. Luther is capturing exactly what James is saying. Look, the point of hearing is to be a doer. And if we're not doing then the last thing we need is more hearing. The first reason you want to be a doer is because you don't want to be like the person who goes and looks in a mirror and then walks away and forgets and doesn't do anything. The second reason you want to be a doer is because doing brings blessing. Look at verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Notice the text doesn't say he will be blessed because of his doing. It says he will be blessed in his doing. 
In other words, it's not that you earn God's blessing by your doing. It's that the blessing is in the doing. The best life, the fullest life, the most satisfying life is a life of hearing and doing the Word of God. The word blessed, right here in this verse, he will be blessed in his doing, is the Greek word makarios. It's an important word in the New Testament. It's the same word Jesus uses in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are uh, those who mourn. And Jonathan Pennington, a New Testament scholar, has suggested that the best way for us to hear and understand the word blessed is to hear it as the word flourishing. When a first century Jewish or Christian person would have said blessed, what, they would, what, what we should hear is flourishing are the poor in spirit. It's not that God is up in heaven saying, I'm going to bless you, and I'm not going to bless you over there. It's that God has set up the world in such a way that when we live according to his word, we flourish. And when we do not live according to his word, we do not and cannot flourish. The blessing is in the doing. The blessing is in the path that God has laid out that points us to human flourishing. Some of you uh, may not know this, but Micah Bruce, who's one of our worship leaders, uh, is a luthier. He makes guitars and repairs guitars and does some really beautiful work with instruments. There's a picture of me and my friend Will hanging out in Micah's workshop a few months ago. Um, Micah, if you go to his workshop, just has tons of guitars in various stages of production because he's building them and repairing them and fixing them. And he's a really, really consummate craftsman. Anyone who works with wood, like Micah does, any of you who are into woodworking maybe as a hobby, know that when you work with wood, you always work with the grain, right? You sand with the grain, you finish with the grain, the wood is set up in a way that the wood is telling you how to work with it. And when you work against the grain, you damage the wood, right? It doesn't create the beauty and the flourishing that the wood is meant to produce. When you're working with wood, you work with the grain. Well, likewise, here's what James is saying to you. The universe has a grain. When we live with the grain of the universe, we flourish. When we live in obedience to the Creator, we thrive. And when we live against the grain of the universe, we don't thrive, we don't flourish. It's not a life that leads to blessing. So James says you must be a doer because if you aren't, you're deceiving yourself. And you want to be a doer because doing brings blessing. Doing is the path to real flourishing in life. You must be a doer. You want to be a doer. Finally, you can be a doer. In verse 25, James uses a real stunning phrase that reveals how we can be doers. Look at it with me. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
or in some of your translations, the law that brings freedom and perseveres, he will be blessed in his doing. Here's why that phrase is a stunning and kind of arresting phrase. Because it shows how Jesus Christ has changed our relationship to God's law. Only if you know Christ and are resting in the gospel will you find God's law to be a law of liberty. Our legal system here in the U.S. and in most Western cultures is based on what's called the rule of law. Right? What that means is we have a set of written laws and our justice system exists to hold citizens accountable to those laws. Right? Even in how we think about how our government works, there's a branch of government that makes the laws and executes the laws and then a branch that is called to enforce and uphold those laws. Similarly, God's law establishes his standard for human conduct. And the problem for us is that we have broken God's law. We've not lived up to his standard. And so the law stands over us and condemns us as lawbreakers. The law is the standard that we have not lived up to. This is pretty clearly stated in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, where the Apostle Paul writes, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is what Martin Luther called the first use of the law. God's law shows us our sin. It is the standard to which when we compare ourselves to it, we realize that we have fallen short. When we come into the courtroom of the universe and stand before the judge of all the earth, we must acknowledge we are guilty. We have broken or violated God's law. And listen, the first step to understanding and embracing the gospel is simply to admit that you are guilty. That you have, in fact, broken God's law. Unless you're willing to admit that, you're not ready to hear the good news of God's grace for lawbreakers. The good news is not, hey, it's okay, no big deal. God's law doesn't matter that much. The good news begins with the bad news that in the courtroom of the universe, before the standard of God's law, you are Guilty. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, we read this. It is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and, what's that word? Do them. Very similar to what James is saying, right? In fact, in chapter 2, James will say, Whoever keeps the whole law, whoever does everything God has commanded except for one, has become accountable for all of it. What he's saying is the law is one coherent unit. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm keeping these commandments over here really, really well, and so the fact that I'm not keeping these ones over here doesn't matter. James and Paul say the whole law is one, and you're accountable for all of it. In other words, God doesn't grade on a curve. God doesn't compare you with the person sitting next to you. He is just and he holds everyone to the same standard. Keep the whole law. 
Do everything God has said to do. Live in the ways that God has commanded human beings to live. And you and I have failed to do that. But listen, Galatians 3, Galatians 3 goes on to say this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Notice the language of blessing and cursing in this verse. Notice how that connects to James, who's telling us about blessing. What Galatians 3 is telling you is that Jesus Christ was a doer of the word. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the law of God. And therefore, he deserved all the blessing and all the flourishing that comes to the doer. When James says, the doer who acts will be blessed in his doing, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He deserved nothing but blessing and flourishing. But instead, Jesus took our place and became a curse for us so that we might be redeemed from the curse of the law. And so here's what that means. Through Christ, our relationship to the law changes. What was a law of judgment that stood over us, what was a standard that held up to our lives, showed us our flaws and failures and all the ways we were falling short, now becomes a law of liberty. We are set free from the condemnation of the law by the obedience of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so now, out of love, we're invited into the joy of obedience. This is the glorious good news of the gospel is that the law, which used to condemn us and stand over us, has now been fulfilled by Christ. So now for us, God's law, God's commands are an invitation into free, joyful obedience. As William Cooper put it in a famous hymn, to see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. See, friends, here's how the gospel works. First, you must feel the crushing weight of God's law. God has laid before you and me a path of bless, blessing and flourishing in life. But you, because of your own wickedness and selfishness, have not walked in that way. And so the law condemns you as guilty. You need to feel the crushing weight of God's law. And second, you must see the grace of Jesus Christ. That he willingly stood in your place, fulfilled the law for you, and took on himself the curse of the law that you deserved. And then third, you must receive Christ and all of his benefits. And when you do, the law, rather than being a crushing burden, becomes a joy and a delight. It becomes a law of liberty, a law that leads to freedom and joy and flourishing. The American vision of freedom, when we use that word, here's what we mean. We mean freedom from obedience. 
We mean no one can tell me what to do. There ain't no rule that applies to me. There are no constraints. Total and absolute self-determination is what we tend to mean when we talk about freedom. But friends, gospel freedom is not freedom from obedience or freedom from constraints. It's freedom for obedience. Freedom to live in the life God means for us to live. Freedom to embrace God's law as the ideal for human flourishing. Freedom, in other words, to be a doer. You're free in Christ to be a doer of the word. And you're free because Christ has delivered you from the curse of your failures and of not being a doer of the word. Here's how John Calvin puts it. We ought not to be frightened away from the law or to shun its instruction merely because it requires a much stricter moral purity than we shall reach in this life. For the law is not now acting toward us as a rigorous enforcement officer who is not satisfied unless the requirements are met. In the perfection to which it exhorts us, the law points out the goal toward which throughout life we are to strive. In the perfection to which it exhorts us, the law points out the goal toward which throughout our life we are to strive. Listen, if I said to you, all right, Cormdale, 9 a.m. Cormdale, we're running a marathon tomorrow. I want you to meet me out here. We're all going to run 26.2 miles. That's where the finish line is, 26.2 miles away. Let's go. Some of you guys would be like, awesome. Like my idea of a great church social, right? <laughs> Most of you would be like, mm, nah, let's not even try that. That does not sound reasonable, right? But if I said to you, hey, we're going to run a marathon in a year. We've got 12 months to train. And we've got some really good trainers in our church that can help us with diet and exercise and a running regimen and all that. I bet most of you would go, okay, I, I might be convinced that in a year with some training, I could do that. Some of you guys are like, nope, still, still not my thing, right? <laughs> but the point is this, a goal that's set out in front of us can be either overwhelming and crushing or inviting, depending on what the goal is, and how we go about it, right? Calvin is saying, look, you know what the law is? It's, it's a goal to which we ought to strive. This is how God wants us to live. And our invitation is to keep walking in that way, to keep going on that journey, and to keep striving after that as we walk with God throughout life. <laughs> Here's another quote from Calvin in the same section of the Institutes. He says, the law is to the flesh like a whip to an idle and balky ass to arouse it to work. The law has power to exhort believers to shake off their sluggishness and to pinch them awake to their imperfection. As a Christian, when you look into God's perfect law, the law of liberty, it pinches you awake to your imperfection. Like a mirror, it shows you where your life needs attention. And then, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you don't stop at being a hearer. You become a doer who acts. 
You must be a doer of the word, James says. You want to be a doer of the word. And because of what Jesus has done, you can be a doer of the word. This is not beyond you. Obedience to God is not something unattainable. You can be a doer, but only through faith in Jesus Christ and by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you this morning to respond to the Word of God. How hilarious it would be as James tells us, we ought to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. How funny it would be if we were just content to hear this morning, right? Let's not be those people. So let's be doers in two specific ways. Let me give you two ways we can put feet to what the scriptures are telling us this morning. The first is this. Will you lay down this morning any areas of willful disobedience in your life? Any places where you have already heard the Word of God and know what God says, and you're not doing it. For some of you, this needs to be a decisive moment in your life. There's some area of willful disobedience that you just need to leave behind, repent, forsake. You've heard what God says, you're just not doing it. And I want to invite you, hey, this morning, what a great time to respond to the Holy Spirit and lay that down. And just to say, I'm, I'm going to be done with this by the grace of God. Some of you may not have noticed this because you're not a design nerd like me. But if you pay attention to the carpet in this room, it starts as a cross out there in the atrium. And it comes down here to the front and spills around this podium. And the reason is because the architects who designed this room wanted to visualize and symbolize the fact that we come to the foot of the cross and we come in this room. So the invitation from the Lord Jesus Christ is, hey, whatever you need to bring to the foot of the cross, whatever you need to just lay down this morning, grace is here and available for you to lay it down. The reason James is preaching this word is because this is God's grace to you and me to say, hey, wherever we're not being doers of the word, let's lay those places down this morning before him. Let's bring them to the foot of the cross. So for some of you, that's the step you need to take is to be done with some area where you just know, I'm not being a doer of the word here. Here's the second action I want to invite you to take. Just decide to be a doer by God's grace. Decide this morning, by the grace of God, I'm going to recommit myself to obedience to Christ. Listen to what St. Augustine says and catch the gospel flavor of this exhortation. Augustine writes, God commands what we cannot do that we may know what we ought to seek from him. O merciful Lord, command what can be fulfilled only through thy grace, so that since we are unable to fulfill it through our own strength, every mouth may be stopped, and no one may seem great to himself. Let us all be small before you. Some of you are trying to be doers of the word in your own strength. You have too high an opinion of yourself. 
You have too much confidence in your ability to obey God. And what you need is to become small. To become more dependent on God's grace than on the power of the Holy Spirit. To recognize the reason God's commands are beyond us is so that we can see our need for grace and cry out to him as people who know our own frailty and weakness and believe that he wants to give us the strength to walk in his ways. God commands what we cannot do so that we may know what we ought to seek from him. This morning, will you decide to be a doer by the grace of God? And just to say, look, I'm not trusting in myself. I'm going to stop relying on what I have. I'm going to stop complaining about what I don't have. I'm just going to say, I want to walk with God, be a doer of his word, and I need his grace and his power for that purpose. Let's come to him in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for the challenge of this word. Thank you for the reminder that if we only hear and don't do, we are deceiving ourselves. And so we ask you for grace this morning. Father, for my friends in this room who know what it is that your spirit is prodding, that they need to just lay down and be done with. Would you give them the courage and the grace and the faith to lay it down this morning and be done with it? And Father, would you give us the grace also to decide this morning that we're going to stop being people who think about what you've said, talk about what you've said, have great conversations about what you've said, and that we want to be a people who actually do what you've said. So would you give us the grace to say, we want to be doers. We want to obey you. Now fill us up with your grace. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us see our weakness and the places where we need to just lean into your strength and trust your power and know more of your fullness and your amazing resources of grace that you give to your people by your kindness. So Father, fill us up with more of yourself this morning that we might more faithfully do the things you've asked us to do. We pray for our good and your glory. Amen.